But again, kind of mentioning today, uh, this conversation, a very well-known biblical story, right? The woman at the well, Jesus having this interaction with this woman, the Samaritan woman. Um, we're going to see a lot of that kind of tension of, of thinking we know things and not really maybe knowing exactly what's going on in that scenario. And so this, again, like I mentioned earlier, story really about two, three, four years ago-ish made me think about a lot when it comes to my faith. Um, and I think there's a lot of power in this conversation that Jesus has with this woman. And not only that Jesus has with this woman, but that he has with his disciples who are, who are traveling with him. Um, and we won't explore that today. So uh, to kind of give you a recap, because I think it's important to figure out how we got here, right? Where's Jesus at? What's going on? What's he doing? Uh, he's with his disciples. He started his ministry journey. He's moving from city to city. And they stop at a village named Sakar. And they're tired, it's midday, they need a rest, uh, they need to get food. And so Jesus tells them, hey, go into the city, grab some food, come back here, we'll reconvene, we'll, we'll keep on moving. And so the disciples are like, okay, we'll, we'll do that, we'll, we'll head on out, we'll get food and we'll come back. As the disciples are leaving, this woman makes her way, they stop at this well, this woman makes her way to the well. And it's not just any woman. The Samaritan woman. There are some tensions between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. And Jesus is a Jewish man, and there's an issue with this. Um, and she sees Jesus, and she knows that this is a, is a Jewish man, and he knows that this uh, is, a, is a Samaritan woman. And there's going to be more we'll unpack in that in a second, but there's already tension there. And so Jesus, as a Jewish man, calls out to the woman. He says, hey, can I get a drink from this well? And this woman, who's probably confused, says, what do you mean, can I get a drink from this well? Like, who, do you know who I am? I'm a Samaritan woman. Uh, you're a Jewish man. Like, you shouldn't be asking me for this. Like, we shouldn't even be talking. And I'm a woman, so there's already, like, I'm already kind of down on the totem pole of who's a priority in our society. You shouldn't be asking me this. And then Jesus says, if only you knew who I was, I would not only give you a drink, but I would give you living water. And the Samaritan woman, at this point, I'm guessing, is, is probably pretty confused, right? She's like, you're crazy. You don't have a bucket. What is living water? It sounds like it's something straight out of Harry Potter. Like, what's going on? Like, what does that even mean? Do you know who built this well? Jacob from the Old Testament built this well. Do you think you're better than him? What, is, what are you even talking about? This woman is beyond confused. And then Jesus says, you come to this well every single day. You come during the middle of the day. Um, you're always thirsty. But if you drink living water, the living water I want to give you, you'll never be thirsty again. And this woman is like, okay, I don't like climbing up this hill. I don't like getting water every day. I have to come to the spot at a different time every day. I'm not a fan of this. If you're selling me this, this, whatever this living water is, I'm interested. I want to know more about it. What is this living water? Tell me more crazy random dude who's meeting me here at this well. And Jesus tells the woman, he says, yeah, I want to talk to you more about this. Let's talk more about this living water. But first go home, grab your husband, come back. We'll keep talking. We'll keep, we'll keep going through like what this means. But there's one big issue with this. 
And this woman doesn't have a husband. And Jesus knows this. And he says, you don't have a husband, but you actually have five. And the man you're currently with isn't even your husband. Wow. That's a sensitive topic for this woman. That's a lot of pain for this woman. And at this point, she's like, okay, what is going on? Who in the world are you? Are you a prophet? Are you a lunatic? Who are you? What do you want? And what's going on right now? And Jesus breaks everything open to this woman at this well, this Samaritan woman. He says, I'm more than just a prophet. I'm indeed the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And she, she connects the dots. And she's like, you've got to be kidding me. You are the Messiah? And so she drops her bucket. She runs home. She tells her entire village what's happened. And it's this beautiful moment with Jesus and the Samaritan woman as they have this awkward, weird, but yet really profound conversation. And so that's where we're going. That's where we're from, right? We're coming from that story, and uh, we're going to go into what happens with the actual disciples, and that's kind of what we're looking at right now. But there's a really important word I want us to talk about this morning that I think ties into this whole conversation. It's going to tie into this woman and what she was experiencing, and it's going to tie into ultimately the disciples and what they're feeling. And that word is the word repentance. Um, this is a word that we get, it gets thrown around so much in our world. Right? It's so important to know what this word really means um, when we talk about the story and just when we talk about the Bible in general. Right? And maybe some of you have heard this word before. I know as a kid, I remember going to baseball games with my dad or watching uh, the TV and there were people with signs right, that said repent. Um, John 3, 16, all these things, like they'd have these signs out. I remember hearing street preachers who would just continue to preach about repentance, and I was so confused about what that word really meant. And this, this word gets thrown around our culture so often. And so many times, you guys, repentance is synonymous with change your mind, you are wrong. Right? Change your mind, you're wrong. But what if, what if repentance is a little bit more than that? Jesus actually talks about repentance in his first sermon in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Um, I think we have it on the screen. He said, repent, he's talking to some individuals, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that is near. But what does that actually mean? What is Jesus trying to say here and what's he trying to get us to think about? I think Jesus is trying to, to tell us that repentance ultimately means change your mind or change your perspective. Think about something differently. Think about it. I thought about this a couple years ago. If you're walking down a path, right, you're going down this path, you're turning around, you're doing a complete 180 and going the other way, looking at maybe some other things in the distance that you didn't see before. Jesus is trying to, when he's talking about repentance, looking the other way, thinking differently about a perspective that you might have already had. And I think that's what Jesus is ultimately trying to get at with this woman as she's thinking about her life and how worthless she is as he is about to talk to his disciples and how they're going to interact with her. But this word's so important to know. And to wrap our minds around this, um, I want us to think about it not only in a Christian perspective, but in also just kind of a normal worldview. So a goofy couple of examples I thought of when it comes to repentance and what it maybe means in a different kind of worldview. How many of you have seen the uh, movie The Incredibles? Raise your hand. Okay. Everyone like the movie? Yeah, raise your hand. Okay. Guys, when it came out, thought it was the dumbest movie ever. I saw the trailer. I'm like, this looks so lame. 
I think I was in high school. I know. Keep your comments, Josh. Uh, but I thought it was terrible, and I didn't want to see it. But I remember my friends were like, hey, you got, we got to go see this movie. And I'm like, whatever, I'll go because I want to be cool. And I want to be with them. And I went to this movie, and I'm like, man, that's pretty good. I like superheroes. I like cartoons. I'm a child. This is great. Um, but I, I loved it. I loved everything about it. And so in that moment, my mind kind of changed, right? I kind of, ch- my, my, my view of that movie was changed because I actually took time to see it. Because I took time to, to watch the story. Um, this year, any basketball fans in the house? Okay. I thought the Detroit Pistons, I put this up and it broke my heart. Uh, this year, I told every single friend that this was the year. Cade Cunningham's back. He's an all-star. He's going to be an all-star. They're healthy. They're great. Man, watch out. They're going to sneak into the playoffs, and they're going to they're do some damage. Well, they just won their first game, what, 28 tries? Treg? I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, we can clap for that. Hallelujah. But I had to change. Like, it took me so long to be like, okay, Kyle, they're not as good as you think they are. Right? I had to kind of change my mind and kind of pivot to, to what the Pistons truly are. And some of these are funny and goofy and a little random, but uh, examples of what repentance can look like. But there's also some more serious ones, too, that I th- I've thought about. When I was in high school and college, there was an image and an idea that I had about immigration. And we're getting kind of serious now. But, and I had this thought that, man, all undocumented immigrants wanted to freeload and um, take everything. This is really biased mindset that I had. And I, I went that way for a while. But then I actually met some individuals who came to this country who had stories. And I heard about, man, there's families connected to those individuals. And I, I started connecting with other organizations in our city that did more with uh, immigration. And it, my, my mind started to, to change from this really biased, man, they, there's nothing good about that whole system to maybe there's more to the story. Let's ask deeper questions. Let's explore what this is, and my mind started to change. Um, there's another idea, too. I, growing up, I believed that there was one political party that I had to believe if I wanted to be a good Christian. And as I started to get to know other people, man, I started to realize that there are different people who believe in different things, and uh, they had different thoughts that I never thought about. And my mind started to change about, man, there's not just one party, but maybe there's two. Maybe we have ideas that we can collectively talk about and have a decent conversation about how we make our world better. And so my, my perspective started to change. And you guys, repentance is happening all over this story. Every single person coming in contact with Jesus is experiencing it. This woman has changed completely. Her whole mindset of who she thought she was, who th- the, her worth was, is changing. But before we jump back in, because I think the closing of this is super important, um, I, I do think it's important to talk about some of the context between the Jewish and Samaritan relationships. Uh, the Jews from an early age, Jewish people from an early age, uh, were taught, whether subconsciously or consciously, that the Samaritans were not to be loved, right? That they were not to be loved, that they were not to be um, uh, welcomed, that they were not to be um, taken into God's family. They were lowly, that they were unavoidable. Um, and that was the main reason for this conflict. There was zero connection to that. Oh, sure, yeah. Is, it, am I, is my voice a little raspy? Thanks, Mel. Get up for Mel, everybody. She's like making sound effects. I had a bottle. Oh, Mel, she's the best. It's been a while. I'm talking a lot. But there was this connection 
to people, right, that they were like, man, these, this other group is not worthy of God's love. They're not fully Jewish. They're not deserving of his blessing. They're not deserving of his love. Um, and so they're not quite good enough. And so that was the, the mindset that Jewish people had when they looked at Samaritan people. And so that was a, that was a big issue and a big tension point. So we're going to pick up the story, John chapter 4, verse 27, the first part. Here's kind of what happens. The disciples are coming back. They got the food. They were, they were ready to go to the next spot. Jesus has this conversation, and here's where we, we pick up. So just then, his disciples came back, and they were shocked. They couldn't believe Jesus was talking with that kind of woman. They were shocked to see Jesus, this guy they dropped everything to follow, how dare him, how dare him have a conversation with the other, with that woman, with that Samaritan. And these 12 young Jewish men, right, more likely than not, would have grown up believing the same thing about Samaritans. They're lowly, unavoidable, unlovable, unworthy, not worth your time. And so they see Jesus having this conversation. They see him having uh, an interaction with this woman and they don't know what to do. They're shocked. They're experiencing something that goes completely against what they grew up learning and knowing. And their whole idea of these cultures was being, uh, these two cultures getting along was being really rocked in this specific moment and going against everything that they fully believe. Um, I remember when I was in high school, um, I went on, or college actually, there was a mission trip I went on to New York. And it was one of the first trips I, I went on, um, like a big trip stateside. And we're getting excited about this trip. And I was like, okay, man, I'm excited to experience something other than West Michigan. Let's go, let's go. And then as we got closer to the trip, I started learning more about what the trip entailed. Um, our pastor started saying, hey, you know, like we're going to be uh, connecting with people in the homeless community who are experiencing homelessness. We're going to just hear about their stories, hear about their lives, hear about what they're doing. And again, my bias started creeping up in that moment. I was like, man, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Like, I, I, there are all these things I kind of thought about uh, people who were in homelessness, and I was, I was so, I was afraid. There was a bunch of bias that came up, right? I, I ultimately thought that, um, again, this is super vulnerable, but I'm going to say it, like people who were in homeless, like they were, they were lazy. That was, my, that was my super biased thought. And as I went on this trip, and I almost didn't go, but I went, and I sat down and talked with individuals. And I, again, I learned about their stories, and I heard their love for their community. And so many of those walls and barriers and biases started breaking down. So many of those things I thought that uh, was involved with homelessness started to crumble because I took the time right, to listen, to learn, to ask questions, to be uncomfortable, to, to actually ask those things during that trip. And I, I realized people are human just like me and that so many were just trying to get back on their feet. And after that trip, my mind changed. There was this moment of repentance that I was able to enter into. As we enter back into the story, right, I believe the disciples are facing this same sort of opportunity for them, as uncomfortable as it is, as uncomfortable as it is for them to think about being, like having Jesus interact with a Samaritan woman. Um, they're saying, we thought we knew something about these, this group of people, but Jesus is hanging out with them. What's gonna, what does that even mean? And so we're going to keep reading. Uh, what do they do? Let's, let's find out. So 
They come back, John chapter 4, 27b, says this. This is their reaction. No one said what they were thinking, but their faces showed it. None of them had the nerve to say what they were thinking, but their faces showed it. Right? None of those guys had the thought to ask, Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? She's, she's different, but why are you talking to her? Uh, life change was happening for this woman. She goes home and she is completely changed. She's experiencing Jesus and she was shattering the mold of who she thought she was. He was shattering the mold of, man, everything I believed about myself, my worth, is completely opposite. I am loved, I'm accepted, I'm, I'm chosen. And these disciples, they completely ignore it. They completely ignore it. They, they walk right past her. They say, Jesus, we got the food, eat up. Let's go to the next city. Come on, we got, we got to try, we got to keep on schedule, Jesus. Let's go, let's move, let's move. But Jesus, just like he does with this woman, says, I'm actually good. I don't need food right now. And I have food that you don't even know about. And they're like, what? And again, kind of the same way he responds to this woman. Their, their whole worldview is kind of being changed. And so the disciples are completely stunned that Jesus would even be interacting with this, this woman let alone the Samaritan woman. But then there's a cherry on top moment, right? This, is, I, this part's so fascinating to me, and I, I love it as I reread it a second and third and fourth time. They're having this conversation with Jesus, the disciples and Jesus, and the woman's gone, she's left, she's, she's blown away by the fact that he would tell her she, he is the Messiah. And she goes back to her village, and all of a sudden the village of Sakar comes out. The village of Sakar has listened to this woman, this woman who's had five, five husbands. This woman who is an outcast. This woman who they're like, man, I don't even know want to talk to her because she's different. They heard her story and they're like, is this real? Is Jesus legit? Did he know you? Is he the Messiah? Is he, is he worth talking to? And the village comes out to meet Jesus. And the disciples see this happening. I'm, and I'm pretty sure as the village is coming out and they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, Jesus, what are you doing? We thought we knew who you were, but are you really this guy that we thought you were? There's this moment where I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure they weren't excited. Right? I'm pretty sure that the disciples were like, Jesus, look at all these people coming out. Like, this is amazing. Our ministry is thriving. We're going to have so many followers. We've got to take numbers to make sure we've got good numbers for this event. Jesus, this is so great. Everyone, we gotta, we got to keep moving with these people. I'm pretty sure the disciples would have been upset. Right? Jesus, this is not supposed to be the group we're talking with. These are not the people we're supposed to love. These are not the people we're supposed to talk to. But Jesus says, these are my people. These are the people that I love. And he's inviting the disciples into a moment of repentance to think differently about those that you see as different. Say, stop looking at them and pointing fingers, but look at them as how I look at them. Loved children of God. He's inviting them to take a step backwards and go the other way and reconsider how they thought. And he says, these are the people that I love. And uh, he says, invite, he invites them into the story of, of repentance. Um, if you guys don't know me, um, I actually work for a nonprofit here in, in Grand Rapids. Uh, kids food basket, and I've been there for two years now. I know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I've been there for two years, and I'm learning a ton um, about food insecurity, childhood hunger, and just how many kids go home that don't have meals. And it's 
very overwhelming at days, but it's also very enlightening, and it makes me continue to move forward in this, this work. Um, but every time we, we provide meals, we try to do a lot of education. We try to do a lot of advocacy work. Um, but there was a moment, probably month two of my job, where we try to give tours, too, about our building and what we do and where we're going. There was a guy that came in, and he wanted a tour, and we started talking. And I'm walking him through the halls, of, or the, the kind of the, our building, and he asked the question I don't think I'll ever forget um, about hunger. He said, I just, I just don't understand why that single mom doesn't work harder. Now, what? I, I didn't know what to say. And he said, I just don't, like, why? Essentially saying, like, why is that single mom lazy? And I remember in that moment trying to respond in adult-like fashion. Um, and I think I said something along the lines of, hey, good, good question. Um, here's why. Um, I actually talked to a single mom a couple weeks ago um, who's got three kids. She's working two jobs. She's trying to find a car to get to healthy food. She d- needs to pay health bills. Healthy food's expensive. Um, we talked about all of these variables, right, that barriers that people can face. And I remember him and respond, his response was, which I to this day will not forget, um, I never understood or realized just how many variables there are. Essentially saying, I had a perception of a single mom, a single dad, and that they were lazy, that they didn't care, they didn't love their kids. But he left that building thinking differently. And it was this moment of repentance that I saw this guy. Even, and he's like, I'm foolish. I can't believe I thought that way. He, I think he even said that several times to me. Like, what an arrogant thing to think. That I, I know people and where they come from and where they live and what they're going through. And that's just not the case. And so for him, that moment of repentance was such a big, big part of his story. And so Jesus says, man, these Samaritan people are my people. They're the ones that I love just as I love you. I care for them deeply, and I came for them just like I came for you. And again, disciples are like, wait, them? For real? Does it have to be them? Please, no, not them. Yes, Jesus is them. I love them dearly. So Jesus ultimately says, these people are going to be a vital part to what I do in my ministry, and if you choose to come alongside of me and welcome them into my family, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. And so what Jesus did in this moment is such an intentional thing, you guys. He was disrupting the systems of the day, this scandalous notion, right, of a Jewish man interacting with a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman, was unheard of. But Jesus, being the Jesus that he is, put himself in the center of that moment. He put himself in the center and he, he made himself the, the core of that. And so in today's context, right, there are so many similarities to what we're talking about, right? If we look around our world as a whole, We've done so many things to other people and to push them away, to bring prejudice and to think less of others, right? We do this all the time. Um, Those of you who are in school right now, or maybe if you were in school, right, we do this at school all the time, right? Groups of people thinking they're better than others, right? We had cliques and all these ridiculous things in school, and we would do our best to push those groups down to, man, we want to elevate ourselves as the sporty kids, the, the band kids, whatever you want to call yourselves. We see it all the time in school world, right? We see this all the time in corporate world, 
man, I want to do everything I can to get that promotion, to get that title, to get that thing. And a lot of times it's with good intention, but sometimes it's, we want to push people down, right? We want to other people. In other countries, right, there are different tribes and uh, in countries that fight for power, pushing others down um, that, uh, to maintain that power. And there's just this struggle to find others, that you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And we do this all the time. In our country, right, there are races and cultures that think they're better than others. So we do whatever we can to other them. We all struggle with this. We all struggle with prejudice, this undeserved reason to not like people, the judging of others. And there's so many similarities to how we treat people in our past and currently, just like there's similarities to how Jewish and Samaritan people treated each other. So in the same way, right, Jesus was inviting his disciples to repent on how they saw others. He's inviting us to do that same exact thing. To to look back on our history and realize, man, there are things that we can learn from. There are ways that we can grow. To look at our schools and realize, man, there might be people that might not have as big of a voice as I do. What can I do to step in and provide a voice to show love, to support them? Maybe at work, it's like, man, how do I raise people up, the, my coworkers, the people, for me, it's like nonprofits. How do I raise a nonprofit up that's not even directly connected to Kids Food Basket? How can we lift each other up instead of othering and, connect, and fighting and challenging each other to love people well no matter what they look like, their history, their current situation, just like Jesus did, right? To remind them that they are part of God's story. And so the Jewish people, those disciples, had an opportunity to remind Samaritan people that they were just as loved by God, right? And they had just as big of a plan in God's story, and we have that same opportunity in front of us, which is really amazing. So in this story, because one woman's view has changed, because she's completely kind of rocked by Jesus' interaction, she goes home, she tells her village about it, and because of that sharing, her whole village has changed. The whole community, a community that would never probably think twice about interacting with a Jewish man, uh, is inviting him to stay longer. Jesus, stay. Stay. We, we want to learn more. We want to hear more. Tell us more. Show us more of this love. They want him to stay longer. That is nuts. And so this morning, if you're feeling shocked that Jesus would call you to change, uh, so were the disciples, right? They did not probably want to, this was, a, this was a hard thing for them to swallow. They had the same type of fear, man. Jesus, all we've known is this way of life, this view of people. Uh, and the fact is that some of them, uh, this isn't something that they caught on to right away, right? This happens and they move on and we later see them arguing about, Jesus, we want to be on your right side. Who's the best? Like, which out of the 12 of us, what's gonna, who's going to be the first one? And we see them continuing to bicker and pushing others down. But the coolest thing about this story is what happens in the book of Acts. Right? Jesus has died on a cross. His disciples are trying to figure out what life looks like without him. And at the time where Christianity shouldn't be thriving at all, with Roman oppression on their back, it's actually thriving, which is really weird and crazy. And I want to make an argument. I want to make a strong one that it's because the disciples finally bought into what Jesus was doing. They saw how we modeled his life and said, you know, we want that too. We want to love people like Jesus loved. And so they invited the Gentiles and the others into that, that group and that love. And the world was ultimately changed because of how the disciples acted and how they showed that love. And so I want to invite uh, LaRonda to come up here. Uh, we're going to end our time. Um, but I want to challenge us today. Maybe God is calling you to think about what this looks like in your life.
How can we start to include others? To show less prejudice and to show more love. Maybe there's someone or a group of people that you need to start thinking differently about. I know for me, that's a challenge every day. How can I continue to really just enter into this moment of repentance? To, to lower my, man, I think I know everything, but maybe I don't know everything. And when, you, when we decide to repent, you guys, and to turn that direction the other way, man, there's some cool freedom in there. There's some really cool freedom in that. And so Jesus is calling us to love in this way. And I truly believe, right, that the radical love of Jesus demands change and demands repentance. It demands for us to take a serious look at our lives and to turn into different areas so we can walk and run closer to Jesus. And my prayer, my hope for today is that we can continue to do those things. That he calls us into that repentance. That we could, we could face it bravely and know that he, he's proud. 